Okay. Tana just read through our gospel reading of the day, and there's a lot to unpack there. But I do want you all to know I have on very good authority the Falcons game is expected to go until 1230. I will have a few out of here in plenty of time for the conclusion. ABC will fill till 1230, local until 1. You're all good. Okay. So let's unpack some of what we are talking about. Uh, I want to start with setting the stage a bit, because you kind of have to understand the stage and what's going on to understand this parable and the Q&A that's going on. So this week's gospel reading, it takes place in the temple shortly after what's called the triumphant entry. So y'all know you have this guy named Jesus. He claims to be the son of God. He has a bunch of disciples who have been traveling with him. Big crowds have gathered where he speaks. This has all already started happening. And most recently, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's the Satan. This Jesus guy, he also happens to be the cousin of another guy named John, who's been baptizing people all over the region. So the Pharisees see Jesus teaching in the temple, and they're thinking, this is our chance. This is our chance to trip him up. You heard that in the gospel reading. They were going back and forth. If we ask him this, he's going to say this. If we ask him this, he's going to say this. They basically asked, who gives you the authority to do these things that you're doing? And Jesus' response was to answer a question with a question. Kind of like kids, maybe you are that kid, where it's like they say, you know, it's time to eat dinner. Why? Because you have to have food. Why? Because, you know, and it keeps they keep following up with another question and another question. Well, he was a little more sophisticated in this, but he turned it around on the Pharisees. Jesus used this Q&A session to launch into what some describe as a miniature prodigal son story. And maybe when Atena was reading, they're like, yeah, that's familiar, but isn't there like a little more to it? Now, this is a different parable, but it's kind of a miniature version of the prodigal son story. You have two sons. One was asked to go to the vineyard and work. He said no but later changed his mind and went. The second said yes, but he never went. That was the story. But the question Jesus ended was this. Which of the two did what the father wanted? I don't think you really need to go deeper into it, right? We know the answer. It's the first, the one who followed through. The follow-through matters, right? Not just what you say you're going to do, what do you do it? It's the next part we're really going to dive in, okay? Let's take a look. Verse 31. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. So this is where the tension gets thick in the room. And if we think about it, if the same thing were posed to us, maybe the tension in here would get a bit thicker as well. You see, Jesus said this to men who knew the law. They followed the details of the law 
precisely to the letter of the law. And this guy, Jesus, this guy who's drawing big crowds and recently rode into town on a donkey with people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, he just told them that prostitutes and tax collectors would go to heaven in front of them. I think, I think the tension was thick at that point. It may be easy to dismiss what Jesus said when we turn that on ourselves, but I think it's safe to say that Jesus speaks to all of us in this story. First, there's the person who thinks they have all the boxes checked, kind of like the Pharisees. And that person may believe if they just do more and more and follow the letter of the law exactly, they're more righteous. And then there's the person who thinks, I've done too much wrong. I've made so many bad choices. There's so much I'm not worthy of being forgiven. Here's the thing though, whether you're in the first group or the second group, the answer's the same. Verse 32 breaks it down. Jesus goes back to the authority question posed to him before he told the parable and said this. John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Two things we're gonna dive into right here, okay? The first way is the way of righteousness. If you're going to dig into that, you must look into what are the ways of righteousness. Righteous is being right in the eyes of God. That includes our nature, our attitude, and our actions. Jesus said, John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. What we're talking about is head versus heart. Head knowledge versus what's in our hearts. And there's a big difference. You see, if you stick with what's in your head, you could be thinking that you can earn God's love with knowledge and tasks. But you may be on the other spectrum and you have this running dialogue in your head that's very loud that again is like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And both lines of thought are rooted in the same thing. It's a rejection of God's grace. The way of righteousness refers, that Jesus refers to includes attitudes and actions, and that's trusting God more than yourself. Trust is hard, right? It's letting go of those narratives that we let sit inside our heads. So when I was in high school, I was in this thing called Bible Bowl. Yes, yes it did not include Bibles and bowling. Um, instead, it included buzzers and specific assignments each year of a couple of books of the Bible. Full disclosure, my church's Bible team was awful. But there were some teams that were like really good, really good. And the teams that were good had team members who basically memorized the entire text. 
And they would like, it was like they would read the clue or the question and they would pick up on the clue and they would ring the buzzer and they would just start reciting an entire chapter and they're like, yeah, the answer's in there. Point for you. Um, it was like serious stuff. There were tournaments, monthly tournaments, big tournaments. There was scholarship money to Bible colleges on the line. You could get the money. Seriously, there was. Um, I may have even traveled to the college I ended up attending to, like, take. You could get the scholarship money from either being on a winning team or doing really well on the test. And my mom actually took me to Milligan to see if I would actually get some scholarship money. It was a wasted trip on so many levels, but we tried. Um, And I paid the student loans till I was 40. Anyway, at our annual convention, the national team members, they were like celebrities. That's where the national tournament was, wherever the national tournament was. And they were like, Derek's laughing because you had to entertain those kids like at the convention. Tell the story later. It was a thing. It was a thing. Now, while I appreciate the intention of Bible Bowl teams, tournaments, and everything that went along with it, It was to give teenagers an outlet to learn the Bible. Um, There's definitely one thing it did not do in my, at least from my viewpoint, and maybe some other churches were better at it than mine and actually dove into the meaning or whatever, but I don't know a team that did that. It did not teach us how to walk in the ways of righteousness or belief. There may have actually been a lot of feeding of other sins going on. Um, At the end of the day, I think we forget belief is a verb. In this sense, it requires action. Have you thought about what belief looks like? It looks like obedience. Going back to our text, the first son obeyed. He delayed, but at the end of the day, he believed, and he did what he was asked. Belief goes beyond head knowledge. If you're the person who thinks, if I just learn more, if I just do more, it will be enough, let me share something with you. It will never be. Believing means loving God and loving your neighbor. Your neighbors may be the tax collectors and prostitutes. They are. Some people who didn't always play by the same rules as you, those are your neighbors. And if you're someone who feels so ashamed, maybe your faith journey started later in life and you're even embarrassed you don't have that knowledge that others do, please know that's not what matters. It's how you live. It's accepting God's grace, repenting and believing. And as Jesus tells us in the story, it's never too late. You can still say yes to him, even if you previously said no. This week, I invite you to think about your internal attitude. Not from the angle of taking inventory of all you've done. Instead, ask yourself this one simple question. Are you believing? Believing is not just saying we believe, it's doing the will of God. It's obedience. As Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not enough to know who God is. It's your changed mind. It's doing God's will, which is to love him and love people. Not just by saying the words, by doing something. 
You know, in this time of incredible accessible media, images and pictures everywhere, I think maybe we're quick to fill everything with empty words. We see someone's concern on, pace, on Facebook, on our Instagram, and you know, we're like, well, we're praying for you and we feel connected. But in some ways, being able to keep everyone in the loop quickly, you know, it's awesome. But in other ways, we've lost something. We've lost that personal touch. We've lost some real interaction. And I think we've lost the follow through. A study published in the Harvard Business Review showed that during the pandemic, people's personal network shrunk by 16% or by more than 200 people. And while you could argue it just means people are closer to those who they remain in contact with, I believe there's also something to be said about losing opportunities to see what God is doing through others and in the world around them. We're missing seeing God's act of grace, seeing the final outcome in people's lives. You see, that's what God is concerned about. It doesn't matter if you've been caught up in doing, doing, doing more and more and more. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've messed up so much, there's no way you can be forgiven. Again, God looks, what God looks at is the final outcome, not just in others' lives but in your life too. We all have a chance to be the first son. We have all said no to what our father asked of us at some point. And still, even though we ignored and disobeyed, he welcomed us with open arms. Imagine if we the church were more like that, if we fully remembered that nobody could ever do so much good to deserve a second chance with God. It's only when we realize that it's through, by his grace and mercy, that we can run to him with his arms wide open. And then yes, the realization of that mercy and grace ignites something within us to care and love our neighbors in ways we never imagined. Let's not only realize that it's through God's mercy and grace we can be that first son. Let's be earthly examples of what it looks like to show that same grace and mercy to others. You wait on letters, patient for any sunlight, drinks that